Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. I have about a million tabs open now, though. Yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I hit about six, and then I start going, man, I hope that I'm still recording properly. <laughs> <laughs> I say I was going to get in the cute puppy uh, war there with you, Peter, but I have I had too many tabs open. I can't function when I have more than like five tabs open. Popper to the People is brought to you by ABU Games. You can visit them online at abugames.com or through their bots, the Card Store and the Card Store 2. You can find us each week on mtgostrat.com and mtgcast.com. This is Popular the People, episode 122. My name is Chris, and with me is Nate. Hello. Peter. Hello. And Chris Weaver. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. So we had Chris on. We were going to have him on last week, and we're getting him on this week instead. And so he's going to bring that spikiness aspect to our show <laughs> as a guest. <laughs> so, hey, uh, first things first, the... Forums are looking different, so don't be alarmed. Um, and if you haven't logged on in the past couple of days, log on, and you're going to have to re-verify your account. But it's just a couple of clicks. So yeah. Just a just a heads up, so you don't go. Oh my God, did I go to the wrong site? And let's see. Soccer's over for both my kids, which means I have more time to actually play these brews of the month and things like that. So I'm excited to actually have some evenings to devote to. Playing more frequently than I have been able to lately. Put the helmet on. You're going to be banging your head against the wall. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, let's see. Other stuff that's not magic-related before we get into direct magic-related stuff. I finished The Last of Us this weekend. Nice. Um, no spoilers, but if you have a PS3 and you haven't played that yet, you need to play that game because the stuff that happens in it I remember telling you guys how messed up I was from the beginning, and it's just a progressive, more messed up from that point forward. So, excellent game. And then also, um, if you go to this website, I'm just going to post the link and talk about it really quick. It's called www.saltybet.com. Basically, this guy set up a Twitch feed of of a fighting game that is a fully customizable fighting game where it's got upwards of, I think, like 1,300 characters in it at Holy this crap. point. And he basically has it set AI versus AI, and then people place bets. <laughs> <laughs> so it's these ridiculous, like, there's fighters from all different games, and they have all kinds of weird different hitboxes. Is and, it Mugen that you're talking about? Yeah, it's Mugen. Okay. What? I thing is goofy as hell. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. check, this, so I gotta you, check this out now. Yeah, there's a Twitch feed. You can go to twitch.tv slash saltybet, or you can just go to saltybet.com. And you bet with fake money, but I mean, it's it's the most bizarre, most hilarious thing that you can't look away from. <laughs> so it's <laughs> so like random character from a fighting game versus another random character from a fighting game? Yeah, and then there's also like user-submitted type stuff too. So it's like there's like 40 or 50 different versions of like Dragon Ball Z characters. <laughs> yeah. they're all and the goofiest thing too about Mugen is it's all custom content, so everyone did, so it's not like some big corporation and they're going up for balance or whatnot, so they might just throw something completely ridiculous in there. It's like, jab, half-life gone in one shot. <laughs> yeah, and you know, so there's stuff that's way OP, and so he'll try to you know, get rid of that, but you know, you'll see it for a couple of matches before someone will really complain. But what's really funny is um, like people design those characters, and so they'll design like super small sprites that have like the tiniest hitboxes and then you have like these giant you know Street Fighter 4 characters or something then they're just swinging around like crazy <laughs> Must and they can't try get hit on the dudes hit. <laughs> so what's you guys' favorite fighting game character of all time? oh jeez um, the easy answer would be Scorpion but you know as character man I mean everybody everybody loves Scorpion back back A <laughs> That's just easy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not really good at fighting games. Uh, probably. Man, I haven't played them in years. I've I've been playing. I played the new Mortal Kombat game with my wife a little bit because she always used to kick my ass at Tekken. Oh yeah. 
Eddie, Eddie um, from Tekken. That's a solid choice. That is a solid choice. Um, if it was Mortal Kombat, it would probably have to be Johnny Cage, just because I like I like playing as the douchebag sometimes. <laughs> the dude with the shades. And then, you know, Soul Calibur, it was probably Nightmare. You know, you talk about a cheap combo, swing down, swing down, swing up. Pretty much. I agree with you on that one, Chris. For Soul Calibur, it's definitely got to be a Nightmare. I always like my first read. What? Who? What? Siegfried. Uh, yeah, Siegfried. The good version of Nightmare, basically. Pre Nightmare. <laughs> Same move set, just different looking. So the game. What about you, Chris? The game that got me into fighting games was X Men: Children of the Atom. Remember Ooh. that game? Yeah, that was uh, my favorite character from there was Spiral. That's a good choice too. The one I've always wanted to play but never have was Marvel vs. Capcom too. Oh, it's so sick. Yeah, I've heard I've heard really good things about it. Hey, Magic Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we got lots to talk about. Yep. There's a Magic article up on the Mothership uh, called Unseen by Mark Rosewater, and I'll just gloss over it really quickly. Um, he also does a podcast called Drive to Work, and he talked about it on there. So if you haven't heard Drive to Work, you should give it a listen as well. But basically the article is a bunch of unused ideas they had for Unhinged 2 before they, before they went with um, – oh, excuse me. Unglued to. Before they went to Unhinged, they decided to make a sequel to Unglued that didn't work out. And so there's there's a bunch of really interesting, like, pox effects that are called botulism <laughs> and time walk on the wild side, <laughs> anthem of the opera. So, yeah, there's a lot of pretty funny stuff there that you can check out. So, Also, um, first day of the Popper Gauntlet was today. And so there's an article up on MTGO Strat by Dan. (laughs) 47 decks ended up getting approved for the gauntlet, and the first nine jumped in today. And he's saying that already there's been some really big shockers and some really tough eliminations. So um, if you haven't checked it out, go over there, check it out. It's just it's really interesting to to see this thing starting. He's put a lot of effort into it, and it's it's really cool to see it come to fruition. Now you guys said. uh... I know you put in your bets already, but would you say that who's going to win the Popper Gauntlet? <laughs> Mild Blue Delver. I'm thinking Delver Blue. Yeah. So yeah. I was I said Blue Green Fissure, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, Blue Green Fissure is going to get beat by the regular temp, the Blue Mono Blue Fissure, but yeah, Mono Blue Delver. I think Dan has a really really good record with Blue Delver to begin with in the practice room, so it's probably your best bet. Dan's actually a pretty good pop, uh, Delver player. Yeah. Dan's just a good player in general. Yeah, bet he is. is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, talk about a guy who's put in a lot of time once he decided that it was something he wanted to commit to. Yeah. Another MTGO Strat article would be um, Thoughtcast by David Schaefer. Um, Top five mechanics you're brewing with but probably shouldn't be. It's pretty interesting. I read both those articles. They're really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he put a sequel out to that article. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. So yeah, there's. What's nice about it is that you know when you when you do like top five <laughs> or when you say these and or type of statements like you should not be doing this or you should be doing this, you really gotta know what you're talking about and you really gotta back it up. Yeah. And and he does a really good job of doing that and that's a, it just kind of adds that extra air of authority to it and really gives you something to think about. So yeah. Think think long and hard about why you shouldn't be playing dredge. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, David's a really awesome brewer, and he, he goes through a lot of testing, and it's relevant testing that he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this would be a good point to kind of ask you, Chris, what exactly is going on with CPC? All right, so CPC, we, uh, we started off pretty strong, right? We put this thing together, and me and Will and uh, Dan all worked out times, and... You know, we said, okay, well, this is when we're going to record. And what ended up happening was uh, we could record it, right? I could record for 10 minutes, and it sounded awesome. And then uh, Dan is uh, at which one, whichever one of his two places he can't really record at. And he's going to be there for the next, you know, just hold like September or something like that. So that left uh, basically Will to record. And when Will records, it, it basically it sounds like shit. 
excuse me. <laughs> no, that that word's acceptable. Okay. Um, it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like complete crap. It just uh, you know, you guys have listened to the two episodes, or you know, for the people who've listened to the two episodes, you know that uh, my and Dan's voice comes off as sort of robotic and choppy, and um, and Will's voice would be a little kind of muted compared to ours. So we decided that uh, right now the audio issue is kind of holding us back at the moment. Um, at some point, I'm going to pick up some recording software, some uh, some Bandicam type software, and we're going to do some CPC. And it might just be me and Dan and somebody else, or it might be me and Will and somebody else. We're not really sure uh, quite where we're going with it yet, but we are going to definitely continue on. We're going to push and do do another few episodes or at least try to uh so that's what's going on with cpc guys excellent it's a like we mentioned prior to the show beginning officially it's it's really nice and i think the popper community really needs a a definite spike focused podcast to kind of be the the yin to our yang i guess as it were so it's definitely appreciated and i i for one you know I'm looking forward to everything getting sorted out and you guys getting to a regular schedule to it. Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking as well, and we wanted, we figured, we had some topics lined up, and then we got to talking, and we come to find out that maybe talking about how to beat Fissure would be a good thing to discuss in a little bit, a little bit, so. Yeah, sure. So, Chris, how the hell do we beat Fissure? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um man, J Siri eighty four posted uh, a really interesting article on MTGO Strat. Uh if you guys have read that one, right? The the problem with fissure or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so what he addresses in the in his uh article is that you need to be you need to either have a deck that can beat fissure or be playing fissure. And the way I look at it, there's only really two ways to beat Fissure. One is be a Delver player and disrupt them. Or two, kill them before they can get online. So yeah. anything that's in between or anything that's outside of those two, you're going to have a really rough time beating Fissure. That's why uh, White Weenie doesn't work right now because uh, White Weenie can't kill on turn four. And decks like Stompy and Goblins can't. Right, that's their plan. Their plan is to just to beat Fissure before Fissure gets online. And Delver, it can also get these really fast starts, and it can't quite kill on turn four, but you can disrupt them long enough to where uh, you can kill them on turn six or seven because you've counterspelled everything that they have that's important, and then they have to you know, spend all their mana tapping out to cast a Muldrifter, which is normally a huge issue for Delver. Right, If a Muldrifter resolves against, you know, if uh, Blue-Red posts player plays a Muldrifter and it resolves, the Delver player pretty much loses on the spot. But, you know, a mono-blue deck playing Muldrifter doesn't necessarily beat Delver. And I think that the mindset, we talked about that a lot when the old Storm decks were were around in abundance, and, you know, having that self-defeating mindset as soon as you realize, oh, I'm playing a Storm deck, you know, that's definitely something that you need to get get out of thinking and understanding that yes it is beatable it's not this unbeatable mythical deck and you just need to to make sure you play properly and make sure that you're you know what you're doing and you know what they're doing and you and you know the right times to to try and disrupt that and ultimately that comes from getting beat by it a few times you know getting getting some wins in and finding out what worked and we've we've said countless times i mean you've got the deck you want to play You've got hundreds of matches ahead of you as far as practice, tournament practice, maybe eventually getting to the two-mans with it, but you want your deck to work, and you need to have that wide enough spread of data to know exactly how it stacks up against the other decks in your metagame. Yeah. So, like, you need to be playing a deck that can either disrupt Fissure a lot or uh, kill them on turn four, because... Uh, for a Fissure deck to go off on turn four, they really need a very specific set of cards, like like ten specific cards, I think, is what I had counted it out for. And Preordains will help them get there. Compulsive Research will help them get there. But 
if they don't have those 10 cards on turn four, then they're not going to win, right? Right. They're going to be down to like three life and maybe they'll fissure you, but then you just play another one drop or so, or you lightning bolt them and they're, and they're dead. So it's definitely a beatable deck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Oh, go ahead. I guess when I, uh, before, like, I started really brewing on the brew of the month all the time, uh, I had just gotten my, uh, my Nivik Cyclopses, and most people know my favorite deck is Delverfiend. I guess I, I was, I was beat in tournament practice room, I was taking down Temporal Fissure decks just because I could, uh... I could get out turn four and beat them, but if I wasn't getting out turn four, I could just play Museum Scan and save my butt, and then they couldn't do anything. So that's that. Yeah. But I, but I think a lot of it was dumb luck too. Yeah, and <laughs> tournament practice room is way different. Like you can't. Yeah. The the Fissure players in the tournament practice tournament practice room just suck. They're yeah. they're awful <laughs> players. Yeah, like I said, I think it was just dumb luck. <laughs> yeah, and when you are playing in the tournament practice room, it's like if you're someone who's learning a deck, you got to remember that there are other people in there who are trying to learn their decks. So just because yeah. you know a deck beats itself, that's not necessarily because the deck is you know you've got the good matchup against it, or because the deck is is shaky. It's just a person trying to get the hang of it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I do think that the Cyclops deck has a good match against Fissure, and that's why it's still present. Yeah. Uh, in the metagame. Right, I think it's, it's a fun play. deck to play. I love that. Like, it, If I have to choose my favorite popper deck to play, I like playing Delver Blue, but uh, for some reason, I, that Kiln Fiend Delver deck is my favorite. I love playing that deck. So much fun. <laughs> yeah, the, the Delver Fiend deck is 6%, according to MGO stats, so the metagame. Yeah. Um, and it, it does pretty handily beat the uh, Mono Blue post deck, because it can do one of those things I said, kill them on turn 4. And mm-hmm. it's not even like a close turn four, right? If you go off as the Delver Fiend deck on turn four, you're probably yeah. dealing them thirty damage. Yeah. So, but it, that that but then again, I'm one of those players that if I am playing, it's a one on one type of tournament thing. I'll I'll go all out and try to win in the first four turns of the game and leave it at that. I'll gamble to the gamble to win and just let it go if I lose. Oh yeah, you definitely should with with Delver Fiend. Yeah. Deck. I don't mind playing that way either. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't mind playing that way because I mean it is a, it's a combo deck. It's just like the yeah. deck. It's trying to yeah. it's trying to combo off on as early as possible. Yeah. Peter, you've been awfully quiet. It's because I haven't had to say anything. You guys have been hitting everything pretty much spot on. <laughs> There's nothing you want to add. No, he's been doing a pretty damn good job of explaining everything. So I fear why he breaks something up that's good. <laughs> So you're offering him your position on the show? Not that so much, but he definitely has far <laughs> more knowledge on this subject than I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, awkward silence. What's awkward. next? It happens. That's, that's why we edit. That's yes. why we edit. Well, we've got two separate decks that we can talk about that are kind of... I guess off the radar is not the right word for them, but they're just kind of, I guess, rogue brews. Um, a suicide white deck or a, a black green loam deck. So, um, did you guys have one over the other you want to talk about first, or? I guess I'm more interested in the dredge deck, but that's like my pet ability that I just love. Rule number four on the top five abilities. I know it's rule Don't number four. <laughs> Don't play with dredge. It still happens <laughs> to be one of my favorite mechanics. You know, I'm telling you this as the guy that made that blue-black reanimator deck that <laughs> I played like 50 matches with, and one time I got an Ulamox Crusher out turn two, so I felt it was a success. Well, at least <laughs> wait, that's not a success. <laughs> no, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't anywhere tournament viable, but I felt damn proud of myself. I would relish <laughs> in the, it. One of the first like popper daily events I ever played in, right? I, but first popper deck I picked up was Stompy. and uh, the first daily event I played in popper was uh, a Dredge reanimator deck. So he like he turned one faithless looting and he puts an Ulamog's Crusher and like uh, something else in the graveyard, like a Dragon Talons or the thing that uh, the enchantment that attaches whenever you yep. whatever the Dragon Fangs, Wings, Shadows or whatever it is. Yeah, 
So Dragon Anatomy. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know Reanimator was a thing in Popper. And then next turn he exhumed, and I was like, oh, how the <laughs> how the what? That's so that's a common. <laughs> so so he did that to me two games in a row, and I, obviously I lost. Yeah, but I was like, "Welcome to the format." It's like, what the heck? Welcome to the format. You get to play against a rogue, rogue, rogue deck <laughs> that gets I mean, a nut draw. I mean, I know Dredge is not good in Popper, <laughs> but it's just—I don't know. Dredge is fun to play. I, I just love playing it. Like graveyard decks are my thing. I love playing graveyard decks. I think they're fun to play. Yeah, yeah and there's again nothing wrong with that. <laughs> No, but I think if you're going to go with the uh, with the graveyard themed deck, uh, tortured existence is probably your best bet. Yeah, it is the most solid build out of any of the ones that are there right now. Yeah, are you thinking the old green black one, or are you thinking the current red or black red one? The black red one. Uh, e hustle runs it. Yeah, and uh, as I recall, right, he was the last player to win a popper premiere event. And he won it with tortured existence. <laughs> nice. So. It was the last popper premiere event to ever be played, and he's a he's obviously he's a, he's a really really good pilot of it, and yeah. it's just better than this deck, right? This deck how does how, this deck uh, doesn't answer the question of uh, fissure. No, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> there's not. there's no way this deck is winning against fissure. Well, the answer to that is you cross your fingers every time you start a match. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Please let them all down to three. Please let them all down to three. <laughs> Yeah, like it doesn't have any like hand disruption even. I guess it's got Raven's Crime. Yeah, well I mean it's like even his like you said, his first sentence is, um I haven't played too much against the big bad Delver and it's like that's not that's not the big bad big bad's fissure. Yeah, no, it's like with all this recursion, you actually have a pretty good shot at beating Delver with this deck if you can like out card them, card advantage them and uh so I would definitely like up his stinkweed imp count to you know, four because Delver can't really deal with the Stinkweed Imp. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go over let's go over the deck list really quick. We've got uh four tilling tree folk, uh four werebear. Werebear coming back. Love the werebear. He always comes back. He's four awesome. cartographer. Uh four fright crawler, which was one I had to look up. It's from Odyssey, and it's a black colorless for a 1-1. Can't be blocked except by artifact creatures and or black creatures. Yay, fear. <laughs> and threshold, plus two, plus two, and can't block. So, yeah, fear. Fear before it was fear. So isn't that called Intimidate now? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and then two Stinkweed Imp. As far as the spells go, we got three Siphon Life, three Raven's Crime, four Grim Discovery, four Drown in Filth, and two Crippling Fatigue. And on lands, we've got four swamp, four forest, four four Golgari guildgate, three quicksand, two Bojuka bog, four barren moor, four tranquil thicket, and one haunted fengraph. Lots of variety of lands. Hmm. And they all intertapped. Exactly. Yep. I'm guessing he's just trying to use the draws to, like, initiate a initiate a dredge. Maybe. Well, no, his, his whole point is he's, uh, he's loam, right? So he's getting yeah. lands back from his, ha- from his graveyard to his hand, so he yeah, plays just Tilling Tree Folk and gets his Bazooka Bog and Baron Moors back, and he gets to cycle yeah. him again for more cards. Yeah. It's just a really slow engine. Yeah, it is. Really slow, um, and you know, it's almost like that's the kind of thing that people are trying to not mention to him. But you know, they're kind of going about it in a different way. Like, seems like it can get overwhelmed and has a tough time sta- stabilizing the board. Is this right? Yeah. Which the answer was just yes. <laughs> there's so, there's and, good old hustle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it says, you know, I end up trying to recycle quicksands as much as possible while staying alive with siphon life making it difficult to find the right play between the two. It works beautifully against Burn. Mono-black control isn't much of an issue, and most other rogue decks are just grind to win. But, I mean, that's the problem. Mono-black control, um, it's a little too prevalent to maybe be considered a rogue deck in the metagame, but, you know, it's definitely, you're not seeing it the way you're seeing Affinity. Fadden, the discard and, mechanic in mono-black control doesn't hinder this deck because it wants to pitch things in the grave and then get them back anyway, so... Yeah. And 
you know, burn, burn's practically non-existent. So. And unfortunately, it's not surprising, any kind of life gain tends to break burns back in our format, so, yeah, like you said, just keep tossing land to siphon life all day and you'll win, because they'll just top deck, they'll go to top deck mode and then you can just overtake from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he's getting lands back with his Tilling Tree Folk and his Cartographer, so he can keep on pitching lands in- inevitably, um, to the, and like, his Grim Discoveries will recur his dead Tree Folk and whatever, so... He's got an engine for Siphon Life to beat the burn deck, but you really shouldn't be in a in a real like in a, in a daily event. You shouldn't be worried about burn too much. No. Right. Right. And so, um, let's see here. This individual says we need to remove everything that doesn't either one win us the game with our plan, two keep us alive to do so, and three fill in the blanks with the best possible cards. So. Um, I mean, right off the bat, he says Siphon Life is a one of. Crippling Fatigue is good in theory, but I think you'll find that paying three life is not something you want to be doing with a deck like this. Remove them all. Fright Crawler should be removed, which... Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Raven's Crime is actually quite good, but, you know, Raven's Crime is a good card anyway. And um, Grim Discovery and Cartographer are also just not good, so could see arguments for two of each, but there has to be something better out for these spots. So as far as ads concerned, he says, First things first, Evolving Wild seems like a card you want to play. When the engine begins to run, it can help you thin your deck out quickly. Maybe not a four of, but certainly needs to be there for this utility. Yeah, definitely. And then, right away, Tortured Existence. Basically, all they're doing is turning this deck into the classic classic dredge build. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Knot of the Bone is necessary. Um And then mulch, which, you know, I'm kind of surprised we didn't see it in there. Yeah, but I mean, he's talking, it's like, then you go Delirium Skeens, you go Wild Mongrel. So you're basically just turning this into the the black-green tortured existence. So, (laughs) Rogue Elephant considerations. Oh, man, I love Rogue Elephant. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Although I do love, uh, what is it, Uh, the Shroud one, 3-2. Scythe Tiger? Yeah, that guy. The guy's. I like that guy a lot more than Rogue Elephant too. Oh yeah. yeah. The only problem though with Scythe Tiger is that he's only two. He's got only got two toughness. So any other like half the Goblin deck and most of the Green Stompa deck is fine with it coming out. But Blue Red Post is always afraid when it comes up because he can't do anything about it. Yeah, Blue Red Post can't do anything about it until Moldrifter hits. Pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, and then, um, so this individual says, I haven't looked at a multitude of DE results, but my own DE matches indicate that Temple Storm is still the most played deck, and this deck is going to lose practically every match against it. To which E-Hustle replies, you're clearly being generous with your inclusion of the word practically. (laughs) 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 He's only got 11 posts. I think he just comes on here to just, like, crush dreams and then Um, peace out. No, he just just came back to to Magic, like, uh, two or three weeks ago. Okay, that makes sense. So, anyway, that's that deck. Yeah, and Temporal Storm is not the most played deck. Right now, the Delver is the most played deck. Yeah. Behind Delver is Stompy, and Fissure is uh, a clear 8, 8% behind Stompy and 9% behind Delver. Now, where's Affinity fall on that list? Uh, Affinity is 8% total metagame right now. Huh. People are moving away from it. It's kind of what Affinity does, though. Yeah. It comes to say, once everyone has it out of you know, the stuff out of their sideboards for it, it can come back, dominate. But yeah, it's such a br- Affinity's such a brick once people have the sideboard materials for it, just because everything's a target for destroy artifact in that deck. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Affinity Affinity often beats itself because it has to mold a four or five to to get the yeah, right it, combination of lands and artifacts and threats. That's I was to say that's another weakness. It definitely shares like with the Silver deck is that it just does not mulligan well. Because you need to have every asset in your hand for it to work as well as it can. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to bring us to the other one that's kind of an interesting brew, and that's Suicide White. That's interesting, just the name alone. Yeah. Peter, would you like to go over the deck on this one? Uh, Sure. I think it's the one that's uh, first posted in the forum, I'm guessing, for this one. 
Okay. Yeah, it, I'm actually on page two. Yeah, the link goes to page two, so we want to go to page one. My apologies. Just figuring out where we should start with the uh, list. Okay. Yeah, let's just start with the, start with the lands. Okay, so we have 20 lands in the deck. We have four Ancient Den, four Dark Steel Citadel, 12 planes. We have 30 creatures, four Ardent Recruit, four Orok Sun Chaser, that Sun Chaser, wow, uh, two Benevolent Bodyguard, four Court Homunculus, three Immolating Soul Eater, hmm, that's an interesting one, three Lokothard, mm-hmm. four Porcelain Legionnaire, full Vart, wow, I cannot talk, Bolt Scourge, <laughs> two Flare Husks, then we have ten Spells, three Bonds of Faith, four Bone Splitters, two Double Cleave, and a Verding Longbow. And in the sideboard, we have a Benevolent Bodyguard, three Disenchant, another Immolating Soul Eater, two Journey to Nowhere, three Manatithe, two Standard Bears, two Sunlance, and an additional Verdian Longbow. I like this deck. I'll be honest, the first, after just looking at this, it reminds me a lot of the Machine Weenie deck. If any of you guys remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, you're talking about decks that kind of start to evolve into something else. That's, I think that's where this one ends up kind of going. Yeah. This deck right, answers the, this deck answers the question of uh, beating Fissure on turn four. That's what the Emulating Soul Eater's in there for. Emulating Soul Eater plus uh, Double Cleave, and you can kill them on turn four. That you can. You can kill them on turn three, actually. Yeah, just dump all of your life away. <laughs> yep. Works. Yeah. <laughs> if you play a... If you Remember play a turn the, one anything, and then turn two Immolating Soul Eater, you dump, uh, you know, 19 life or whatever into, uh, into the Soul Eater, and you double cleave him, and they die that turn, turn three. <laughs> yep. Yep. He says, Remember the days when Modern was dominated by Wild Mikado before it got banned? Turns out a lot of decks can't handle three power on turn two. In Popper, the poor Nakado kind of sucks due to the crappy mana fixing. However, there's an equivalent to Wild Nakado that is a 3-3 most of turn 2. Ardent Recruit. And he's talking about Ardent Recruit. The most underappreciated card in Popper, which seems like it might be a bit of a generous overstatement. So he says the reason it works, you put in 5-6 power on the board turn 2, and then we mention Double Cleave, and Double Cleave into their face. Yeah, um, so one of the ways that Stompy wins deck games is by getting four power down on turn two. You know, four or five, that's what this deck is doing. It doesn't have the, uh, the pump back up that Stompy does, but yeah. it can put a lot of pressure on your opponents in the very early turns. Well, the one pump it does have is Bond's Faith, because the vast majority of their creature base is human, so that's what I'm guessing they're using it for. Uh, it can be used as a, Passive pass- too, if pass- need pass- but just looking at the creature base, I'm guessing that's why they decided to go with the Bonds of Faith over Journey main board. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm paying attention. I'm just, I'm just scanning through these for, for content. <laughs> I like the deck. I actually might try this one out. Need some. I need some classic brew to brew. Classic brew to try out online because right now the standard brew of the month is challenging. But after a few games, yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. You keep wanting to bring it up, and we're not done with the topic. I'm just saying, I like this deck better than the other one. That's all I'm saying. Nate, watch your mouth. What? <laughs> and there goes Nate being all pessimistic and stuff again. Jesus. No, I'm not. Yeah, right. It's not pessimistic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he says that, um, and this is post. This is dated back in June. But he says that he he went one two in a daily with it, um, losing to Kiln Fiend, um, one and lost one against Affinity. So he says that also. I think given the recent dailies, mono black control with lots of land destruction is the deck no one is playing but should be, and I I don't think that's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I just gave you guys a link. He actually, JPH Snake went, uh, he went 4-0 with this. I think two dailies, actually. He went 4-0 in before he had to take a little break. Yeah. And there's also, um, El Pollo Loco went 3-1 with it, too. Yeah. JPH Snake. Hmm. 
$8 deck, you guys. Not bad. Wow, we. So it's Manatize that are racking it up. Man- Volt Scourge is a 50 cent card? Yeah. Yeah. That card's been showing up everywhere recently. That's it's the reason. not a bad card. It's li- flying lifelink. What order can you want? <laughs> a good cr- a good creature? Well, besides <laughs> a good creature, a flying creature, a flying... I want to play it turn one and a win. A flying lifelink that you can pump up can actually help keep you alive for a little bit. Yeah. Or so draw play- out some removal. Say so when I'm playing Delver, I love it when my Stompy players play a turn one Vault Scourge. I'm like, yes, you're playing a bad version of this deck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the assistance. I I see those decks with that in it, and there I'm always kind of tempted, but then it's like, no, 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 no. That part of your brain realizes there's a better option. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, a couple of roguish decks that that are hanging out out there. So, all right, Nate. What would you like to talk about with the brew of the month? We don't have to right now. We can keep. No, nope, we're gonna. You, you're kidding. No, we're, let's no, go we're into let's go into card of the week. Card of the week is ghostly flicker, and everyone knows what it does. <laughs> and I can't wait till it rotates out. <laughs> oh my god, ghostly flicker! I'm so sick of seeing the card. You want to give us the five minutes of hate with Ghostly Flicker? I would almost rather see Perilous Mer on it at this point. Really, I would. That's where I'm at with Ghostly Flicker. Give me Perilous Mer any day of the week. Perilous Mer and Kaldotha Rebirth? That'd be better than Ghostly Flicker. <laughs> Remember that from our first league? Yeah. Uh, Don't remind me. Oh, but, uh, No, I have been banging my head against the wall with the brew of the month. And it hasn't been pretty at all. Well, um, I, I think it's been mentioned once or twice on the forums already, but I don't think we can stress it enough with the current brew right now. We just don't have anything that you just lose to Flickergate right now. Cause yeah. Unless you, can't, unless you can blow them up before turn four, because that's when Cerule Gatekeeper comes out, yeah. you die. And you can't attack their hand because... With the combination of uh, visionaries, prophetic prisms, and flicker, they're going to keep their hand full at all times. Yeah. And who knows? Even if they're running the weird version, they'll have Opal Lake Gatekeeper too, which nets them more cards. Yeah. Wait, flicker gate plays Opal Lakes? Um, not usually, but on occasion you'll find one of them that is. You, not the bug version. Usually, if you just find like the blue green version, they'll run Opal Lake Gatekeepers. It's weird. Yeah. Um. So far, I've played the played this brew, and I'm three. I'm three wins, six losses. Um. But I, I can go. I can do a recap of their basic list that we started with, quick. Or should I just go into what I changed, or my change, my my version of the deck now. Yeah, because we just covered the the okay. list last okay. week. Um, well, I made some changes, and right away, we had people that were already not liking Pitchburn Devils, which I don't blame them. Yeah. Card is just trash. <laughs> um, it, it's not worth Why? the five mana. Okay. Um, but here's my list as it stands right now, because I've played it to, played it, played six matches with this deck. I'm at three Rakdos Guildgate, nine Swamps, and eight Mountains. Um... I've got four blood for creatures. I got four blood flow connoisseur, four four blood throne vampires, four butcher ghouls, one driver of the dead. I cut a bunch of them because they like in the basic list. If you ended up when you're playing the basic list, if you end up with two drivers of the dead or the pitchburn devils, you're pretty much stuck with those cards, and you're holding them forever. Mm-hmm. It's just not worth it, so I just dropped it down to one, just in case he can pull off that, uh, pull off that sacking it to bring something back. But I think it's very close to being on the way out of this deck completely. Um, three festering newts and two goblin or three goblin arsonists for creatures, and for spells I'm with three active treason. Three Brimstone Volley, which is the clear champion of this deck. Um, four Cranko's Command, four Searing Sphere, three Sign and Blood, and four Tragic Slip. Um, the sideboard is three Beckon Apparitions, because I hate Ghostly Flicker, like, a lot. 
Um, three duresses to go after Ghosty Flicker. Two mind rots to further make them discard their control cards. Three thunderbolts to go after the flyers. Three devour flesh because, hey, I forgot hexproof was a thing. And, uh, one brimstone volley because, uh, the brimstone volley is, re- is clearly what makes this deck work. So. So elaborate. Um, the brimstone volleys are just great because, like, with the blood spool connoisseurs and the, the blood throne vampires, you're sacking your creatures anyway. So whether or not you're, because the, your two main engines are the blood, the blood throne, con- blood throne connoisseurs and the blood, or the blood blood connoisseur and the blood, the blood, 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 blood. Those two are the ones that are making you lose, kill your creatures off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the big thing with that is whether or not you sack them yourself to hurt, to destroy their creatures or to do the butcher, butcher ghouls and stuff, or whether or not your opponent's killing them to stop you from making your blood flow connoisseurs and blood throne vampires bigger. You're still getting the effect you want, which is I want a creature to go to the graveyard so I can brimstone volley you for dead and hit you and hit you for five. So it's it's just a tool to get you there, but if someone really <laughs> wants to stop the the other vampires from getting anywhere, you're still like, okay, fine, I'll just brimstone volley you to the face then, you know, and take five of your life. So that seems to be working quite well that way. And the, the answer is uh, I do don't let, I don't like ghostly flicker at all in, in standard copper. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're you're really you are encroaching on the the total utter you know Mikey K hatred of it that we haven't had on the show in a long time. Well, where it's just like you just press you one time too many and you just it did. explode. Um, but the act of treason actually surprisingly I'm not using it as much as I thought it would be. Which is really, really odd because I understand, I, I understand that's what the whole point of the deck was to begin with, was active treason to steal it or put, steal your opponent's creatures and have just to feed it to the vampires and hit them with their own creature. But honest to God truth, I'm, I'm not winning with active treason. I'm winning with just the brimstone being heavy aggro, just going all out with heavy aggro and then just using brimstone volley to hit hard, hit hard. And Searing Spear really made this deck somewhat better. Because uh, it's nice. It's really, really cool to have all those destroy target creature spells. You know, using the Festering and stuff like that. And using the Tragic Slips. But when you get your opponent down, like if you do a heavy aggro on them and keep it up, you can get them down to like 8. And then after they get to 8, it really comes down to, hey, I got these burn spells that I've been holding that, that I just happen to have and they have no creatures on the board. I'm going to put this to the dome. So you can really just aggro down and then get in there with uh, the uh, brimstone volleys and searing spear to win the game, which that's how I'm winning with this deck. I'm actually burning my opponent out. It's not actually using your active treason to win. So that's just okay. what I'm noticing so far. But the flicker deck is a problem. It's like a huge problem. <laughs> but there is a there is a mill deck that's coming up now that people are using, and that's proving to be a little bit hard too. Granted, you mean the I blue black mill deck. Yeah, that blue black that blue black mill deck is actually pretty darn good. It just I say it most of the time it could destroy. It's yeah, it wrecks aggro decks. Yeah. It has a pretty darn good matchup against the uh, Flickergate deck, as long as, uh, especially if the Flickergate player doesn't have Grave Bridge in their deck. Yeah. That's the only card that stops them from getting milled out. Yeah. And the main reason why the deck is so dang effect- uh, effective is Crypt Incursion. Yeah, Crypt Incursion was ridiculous. I uh, Out of the six games I've played so far, I've faced on two mill decks, and I actually did pull off a... a, a I lost one game, but I still ended up winning twice. Well, the one game was funny because I was down to, like, three cards, and I literally had one more turn to win, and he was at eight. So I happened to have a Blood, blood Flow Connoisseur as a 2-2 and a Festering festering Nudo in them play, and holding Brimstone Volley up in my hand. And he had, like, one card or whatever in his hand, so I'm like, 
All right, and I was already staring down to Curse of the Bloody Throne, so it's like, okay, I need to win this this turn or I lose. And I, I knew he had one card in his hand left, and I didn't know what it was, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to swing for three, get him down to five, and then I'm just going to initiate the sacrifice and go for it. And I did, and he ended up, he was bluffing the whole time. He didn't have a counterspell in hand, and I ended up winning that way. But yeah, it got down there. I was like, crap, if I am done with this turn, I just lose. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That was a, lot, that was a fun matchup. And the players, the, the people I ever take, the, the guys I was taking on with those mill decks, they were having fun watching me pull my pull myself to victory, like, barely. <laughs> so it was <laughs> funny, you, you never, you never yeah. remember the times that the counterspell player didn't have a, or had a counterspell and they just crushed you. You always yeah. remember that time they weren't actually holding a counterspell. Yeah. And I th- and you always tell yourself you'll do better at reading it next yeah. time and then you never <laughs> And I honestly think that I honestly think that the one that one guy I took on, I swear to god he kept one card in his hand just to scare me. Oh yeah, you don't do that? <laughs> you always keep that one landing. Yeah, you yeah. always do that. <laughs> I know I'm playing Stompy and I don't have any access to counterspells, yeah. but it could be a giant growth or something. Some buff spell. Any kind of combat trick, something that your opponent doesn't know about. Yeah, because then they have to play around it, and sometimes that can buy you a turn or two. Yeah, but no, I'm finding this brew rather it, I, it's hard to play. It's not like impossible. I mean, it it, it it takes a little bit of work, but you can if you grind it out right, it will work for you. And like I said, there's a few cards in here that I earn. Can, Contest of whether or not I'm even keeping in. Like active treason is very, I just don't use it enough, and I'm. It might become a sideboard at best at this point. And the uh, the driver of the dead, I'm pretty sure. I don't know what to put in place of it, but I'm pretty sure that's going to go away. Called it. So I, I'm not liking it. So it sounds like this deck is playing like a sly deck. Right, mm-hmm. you're you're beating them down with early with creatures, and then finishing them off with burn. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And if that's the case, you really kind of need the active treasons in there to get the get their annoying blockers out of the way, like the sort yeah. of gatekeepers. But I mean, like I said, those are my matchups. I just haven't seen the need to do it because, like, by the time I get an active treason, I've I've pulled I've, I've pulled off a tragic slip tri- trick or something else, or just flat out. Flat out got my one creature too big to the point where they have to, they have no choice but to block it and sacrifice their creature. Yeah, I mean, so. I can still see it being good against, like, Seraph of Dawn, though. Yeah. You know, I guess your Festering Nudes take care of Seraph now, unless she has the uh, travel, what is it, travel preparations where they put counters on them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Three. yeah, I think Active Treason is definitely necessary to take care of Seraph of Dawn. Oh, yeah. It's weird though because uh, Don hasn't been making much of an appearance lately. No, because green white's gone. White winnies. I can't remember the last time I've played against it. It was an our blue white control deck because it made a sweet finisher. Yeah. But even then, she wasn't always the answer to win with, just because you got her out there and she'd get bounced away or something. Yeah, and the funny thing about adding Devour Flesh to the sideboard was I ended up having a matchup where they played a they played the three three hex proof. Primal Hunt Beast. Primal Hunt Beast. I'm like, I'm sitting there. They have. I had, I had a handful of removal spells, and he goes. The guy goes Primal Hunt Beast, and I'm like, oh, I forgot that's a card. Because <laughs> I had no problem with all the other stuff he had in play. It was like spot removal here, get rid of this creature, get rid of that creature, and then it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> this, this guy's gonna hurt. <laughs> this guy's gonna hurt me. You know. <laughs> So. Like I said, you play one game against Junk Enchantments and you lose, and you promise yourself that's never going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, so you, it's been fun so far. So you didn't decide to go with uh, Blood Baron? No. I tried to get him to do like it. it. I don't like it. I just, being that we're only doing this for a month, I I kind of like the Blood Fuller Connoisseur, because if you can keep up, keep up with the 1-1 counters... He actually becomes so big to the point that your opponents can't do anything about him at all. Until like Mystery really, gets play. 
Can't, yeah, can't really do anything about him. Silent departure. <laughs> Say unsummon. Well, I know. But <laughs> the funny thing about that is... Flickergate. The funny thing about that is I have faced down... I've, I've, I've been playing another... I, one of the six matches, I can't remember which one it was. I did face down Silent Departure, and I just ended up with... Uh, it was I think at that point I had two Blood Flow Connoisseurs in play, because so I kind of snuck another one in there. And he was staring... I had I, I, He did remove my big one, but it's like, oh, in response, I'm just going to reverse it. I just sack the blood flow connoisseur to the other one. It was like, okay, I'll just put him over here. And then it was it was really wasted at that point. So, so that worked you out spent, for me. You spent three mana for a plus one, plus one counter? <laughs> Pretty yep. much. Okay. Well, if, it was gonna, if he was going to get brought back to my hand, and I was I was close to winning anyway, he was down. So it was so a last ditch effort. Shit, pick on Nate Knight or something? Uh-huh. The, is this pick on Nate Knight here? It must be. Nah. <laughs> no, it was. He was down on life, and he had played the. He had played that card as a last ditch effort to get rid of my big guy. So it's like I have the burn spells sitting in my hand. Oh well, I'll just bounce it over, you know. So, but no, it's been. It. I can understand the rationale behind it. Um, it's just, you know, is that is that a fringe situation or is that something you're trying to do every time? Yeah. But, you know, I might I'm you know, I might take I might actually take out the blood flow connoisseurs and just try the blood barons just to see what happens. Because one of the first things that someone uh, someone posted on on, the, on our uh, our brew right away was how he did right away they called it right away, I think it was uh Avery I Avery Called out 61. sign and blood. It was Avery sixty one. He's like, yeah, sign. He called out uh, the Pitchburn Devils. He didn't like those immediately, which I don't blame him. That card is just. It might be good limited, but it just isn't worth the five mana at all. It's not even really that mana. good. In, it's not even really that good in M fourteen. I mean, it's good, right? It's a solid card. You're never cutting it from your deck yeah. in limited draft, but like, it's not even like super exciting to draft it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not worth it's not worth the mana you pay for it to just throw it in your graveyard to deal three damage. And he said he was adding sign and blood, but me being the the per, the, the the optimist every every once in a while, I went. I'm not going to sign and blood. I'm going to go with Alter's Reap and give that a shot just because I wanted to try it. Well, I ended up doing that, and I ended up with the game where it's like I need more cards, but I still need to aggro. So if I play this to get two cards, I'm hurting my aggro because I have to sack a creature to it. You gotta play Blood Baron. <laughs> yep. So yeah. I actually got rid of it and went with the sign and sign and blood, and the sign and bloods are great because <laughs> it's just two life, whatever. Yeah, so. and I say play Blood Baron because the Blood Flow Connoisseur is just it's too slow. It's very much a more grindy card, and Blood Baron, if you're playing like a Sly deck, you want to kill them ideally between turn like five and seven. Yeah. And the Blood Baron's going to help you do that a lot better because it's going to be, yeah. you know, it's a, initially a bigger body and you're sacrificing like Krinko's command tokens or whatever to their or yeah. active treason on the following turn and you could deal a lot of damage to them. Yeah. And, and then you splash blue for Ghostly Flicker. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, I, and that's something I, like I said, it's not like I don't like the Blood Baron and all of it. I just wanted really, really push. Blood flow connoisseur to its limit before. Well, trust me, you take those blood flow connoisseurs out, you put those blood barons in, and before you know it, there's just going to be puppies everywhere <laughs> around you. They're going to be sitting on your lap, falling asleep. <laughs> They're going to be making those cute puppy noises. Trust me. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 something I want to try. I just thought I'd try blood flow connoisseur for a while just to see what happens. Oh, I don't blame you. We made the decision to to run with the list that we were given to yeah. start with, and. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than, you know, someone, you know, just looking at a deck and going like, no, I, nope, you know, just right off the bat, you know, as opposed to actually trying it out and getting a feel for it. So, all giving you a hard time aside, that's totally cool. Yeah. But, uh, regardless, it's been fun. I'm really starting to dig Standard Popper a little bit just because there's so much room to really try something different. So... You guys want to do Heroes of the Web? Let's do it. Yeah. Heroes of the Web is the segment of our show where we take a look at the interesting characters that inhabit the internet. doesn't have to be Magic the Gathering related, but gosh darn it, we try. 
Peter's giving and a hard time so far, I think it's been a pretty stellar record <laughs> of not having a shortage of <laughs> anyway complainers. So, um, so this one comes to us courtesy of Magic. One gl- he says, "One glimmer of hope." Though is that with regards with to the creatures versus spells, power level he uh, states, in our mind, the balance is pretty close to correct right now. That isn't to say that we won't change it over time. It is this churn with what is strong over time that keeps magic interesting, which to me reads that maybe creatures are a little stronger than they need to be and spells might get brought back up to non-nerfed power levels. So, what does he say here? Overall, I thought it was a pretty good read, blah, blah, blah. And then first guy says, can I just say that I died a little inside when I read him list the circles of protection and power sync as cards that were too powerful to print today? And the response is, I don't know about dying inside. Because <laughs> that's a pretty... <laughs> that's a pretty huge statement to make. So, this is where it gets good. This is the reason why I selected this. Because here we go, we are five posts in and the conspiracy starts. The reason I hate these articles, Zach Hill used them right before Sam took over, is how they try to make the player base look like fools. It's okay to just say that people have an irrational hatred of getting their spells countered, so we're going to significantly tone down the power level of counter spells. It's not ideal, but Wizards is a business. It frustrates me to no end when they publish crap like this, though, because it means one of two things. They are so incompetent about the game that they truly believe circles of protection, regrowth, and counterspell are overpowered. That's pretty scary if the people making the game are so clueless about actual gameplay that they believe that. Two, they're trying to cover up for the real reason of doing it which is they feel the player base as a whole doesn't like those kinds of cards, and they think that the readers are stupid enough to buy that that excuse. I've had Zach Hill argue with me on Twitter that compulsive research was overpowered, lol, and that Cygnus were so good that they were obsoleted green. Many of the top decks in the area of Cygnus were green decks that didn't play Cygnus. They played better mana ramp spells like Birds of Paradise, Sakura Tribe Elder, Kadama's Reach, and Wall of Roots. They pretty consistently make irrational arguments about why they're moving away from certain aspects of the game, when the best standard environment they've ever had, RAV 9th edition Time Spiral Block, had all these elements present. Ditto goes for the countless excellent limited formats that had strong removal, which had been replaced by thoroughly mediocre limited formats with poor removal spells. Okay, so if Wizards is screwing up, I'm liking the way they're screwing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because uh, I came back to Magic in Dark Ascension, and Innistrad Limited was awesome. Yeah, uh, it was. Return to Ravnica Limited was awesome. Gatecrash Limited, I mean, I can go on the list. And even this last course at M14, I'm loving playing M14. Yeah. <sighs> uh, and then it, from that point forward, it dissolves into its modern's fault. <laughs> Guys, it's modern's fault. <laughs> It's always modern as fault. Yep. Uh, I think that was... Uh, that's that guy's signature, I think. Oh, wait. Hold on. <laughs> Can you edit that part out? <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's great when people are saying... Let's ignore the World Championship, both team and individual, both in standard and modern formats, was littered with control decks, and was won by a control deck. You know, a bunch of counters, instant speed card draw, some sweepers, and a few finishers. Funny that, but go on, don't let reality mess with your views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love, doing, I love just watching people explode for no reason. Comments, emails, and feedback. Uh, Thomas Wilson, he is the individual that submitted the Golgari Tron deck. Um, and he gave me a couple of games to submit for our Monday Funday game commentary. And now that I have time to do that, I'll make sure I get those posted up with videos on YouTube this week. So, Other than that, it's pretty much everything that has been addressed on the show. So did you guys have anything else to add before we ended? Nope. Nope, nothing really. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on with us. No problem. Cool. Popper to the people at gmail.com, facebook.com slash popper to the people, popper to the people dot proboards.com. You can find us on 
MTGO. I'm Grey Cat Records. Nate is NUCon, and Peter is Midnight Zero Three. And Chris, did you want to give your MTGO name? Yeah, just C Weaver. Nate and I are also on Twitter. I'm at CM Plumber, and Nate is at Nathan Yonkin. You can also follow at Magic Gathering Strat, Magic Gathering for MTGO Strat stuff. Yeah. And that's it. God, I'm going to have to do a lot of editing. <laughs> we practice too hard, I think, is the problem. <laughs> All right. Until next week, my name is Chris. This is Nate. And this is Peter. And this is also Chris. And this is Poverty of the People. You betcha. <sighs> hey, I have I haven't figured anything out to say after that, so